This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore. And from the very beginnings of science fiction, robots, androids, automatons, mechanical beings, this has been, this has been a theme in science fiction from the very beginning. And Star Trek has carried on that theme, uh, especially in the original series, laid the groundwork for... A lot of the you know androids and robots that we see in the cybernetic organisms that we see in later series, but it all started with the original series, and we want to talk about the androids of TOS this week on Trek FM Standard Orbit. <laughs> so we're not talking about robots, you know. There are a lot of computers, and you know, we're not talking about stuff like Landru, Nomad, and M Five. That's kind of those are like computers, and we're talking about androids, humanoid robotic entities, right, is what we're going to discuss. And there's actually are quite a few on the original series. A lot of them have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. So we're going to talk through them. There's even one that people kind of forget about, I think, in one of the movies. But we'll get to that as well. You know, I, I think when people think of Star Trek and androids, they think of, you know, Data and Lore and all those guys. But there's a lot of guys on the original series uh, that, that somehow get overlooked when, when, when talking about, you know, androids in, in, in Star Trek. And, you know, when you, when you go back and you look at these, you can see the, the seeds of what kind of threads they picked up on later and later shows. And you kind of, we're mm-hmm. rewatching a lot of these episodes. You're like, oh, I see where they got this from. Uh, and we're fine. What, what are you guys' thoughts on that in general? Well, from my perspective, Zach, uh, the androids were never a big part of the original series. You know, when I thought back on it, um, you always think it's, it's always a human story or a human slash alien story. Uh, and they never really focused much on it in terms of, you know, being a big major trope. Yes, as we go through the list, it was like, okay, there's more than I realized. But when you think science fiction and you think Star Trek, you don't think androids. You think Star Wars, that's that's half the characters, mm. usually, you know, <laughs> or they play, they play huge roles. Uh, and in Star Trek, that was never the case. And it was always kind of, uh, in my mind, one of the differentiators. The things that separated the two um, franchises to me was, you know, Star Wars um, 
much more of a thinking man's game, person's game, shouldn't say man's, but thinking person's game, uh, you know, using, putting humans in different situations to kind of, um, you know, work their way things out of things, you know, putting up your fists was the last thing, all of that. Star Wars was exactly the opposite. And it was the same with technology. You know, there was almost a, a fear or a lack of, you know, um, using technology for all these crazy things. People did everything. And um, so it's a great topic because it kind of, it, it pulled on a thread that I didn't pull too often when I thought about Star Trek. And that was, you know, where are the robots? And I think, like you said, we'll definitely sense a theme of where robots play in the original series as we work through this podcast. It's interesting. I, you know, in the first watch of watching TOS, I, I picked up on it, but then it just wasn't there enough that you really thought about it. And then going back and you're like, there really was more than you would have thought. And it is really interesting because, like you said, Zach, we think of data, not of the ones in TOS. And you, and I think part of that is because when they did the makeup and everything and, and when Brent Spiner was data, he was very different. And the ones in TOS, you don't think of them as androids because a lot of the time they don't function like you think an android would they don't move in kind of like awkward ways and some their voice inflection and tone doesn't quite lend to that so you think that they're human not an android so it was really fun i'm That's excited because tos always does it better <laughs> i mean i know that so they can you overlay limited... that that james bond music now it does, it <laughs> it does it better that's right yeah yeah because yeah, they were and and this is a this is a byproduct of the times right? yeah like i mean even, Limited tech, you know, I mean, they could only do what they could do, but I think still some of the actors who played these parts, they could have changed how their body moved a little bit or changed their tone, but maybe that was part of the storyline that they weren't supposed to, we weren't supposed to know they were an android. I don't know. I yeah. think you just hit it right on the head. That's it, exactly. Exactly. A lot of these turn out to be twists, like, oh my God, it's an android kind of thing. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, so so we'll, we'll get into it. There there are a handful of episodes, and we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll talk through these as far as the androids related to them. Not, these are not like episode discussions, but in, as far as how the androids fit into them. Uh, so what are little girls made of, right? Uh, me and Brandon, Shane Mattel, just did a commentary a couple episodes ago uh, called Double Your Shatner, Double Your Fun. You guys, you guys have way too much fun making those commentaries. I have to say, I don't even know how you accept money for doing that. I really don't. You should, you should put your paycheck <laughs> back in. So, so that, this is what kind of spurred on the, uh, this idea uh, of the of this show. Watching that episode, I'm like, you know, there are a lot of androids here. Let's talk about this. So, this is the, this is one of the earliest episodes of the original series, and we see our first batch of androids, and and they're from the planet XO three. Uh, Federation research group has gone to go there and found found these machines and found these androids, and they were created by quote unquote the old ones. Who is a reference? Robert Block wrote these episodes. It's a reference to the ones from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft mythology. Um, we hear that term other times in the original series, Cat's Paw. Assumably, these are different old ones from then. Maybe they're not. Maybe there's a novel somewhere that ties all this together. I don't know. If there's not, I'm sure there will be at some point. But uh, that's secret. These androids go back beyond. You know, thousands of years, right? Before you know, mankind was even in space. And and one one of the coolest androids, and we, we have like a couple of my favorite androids from TOS in here. One would be Ruck, right? He's played by Jake mm. Cassidy. He's a very intimidating figure. I talked about him in the commentary a lot. So uh, so you guys have heard my piece on him. But I I, I just think he's very intimidating physically, vocally, coolest voice. That he was a he was a prolific voice actor as well. And and I love the juxtaposition of this giant hulking guy in this ridiculous costume. 
Uh, <laughs> there's just something about it that's just unsettling, and I really, I really liked him as a character, and, and he was the original android from the original Aliens there. Everybody else is a copy. We'll talk about that, but what did you guys think of, of him as an android? Yeah, definitely. The way his, he, he uses his voice in a way that sounds kind of not robotic, but what you would think, you know, how he chooses his wording and how he says things. Um, yeah, he was scary. <laughs> not going to lie. I don't think I'd want to run into him in a cave at all. So, Haley, you talk about makeup and stuff. They actually did, you know, it kind of made him look like almost like a skull yeah. artist, right? Yeah, it, it's very interesting how they did the gray, like, on his face to make it look like, um, you know, he had some depth and some interesting, and, and the makeup and probably some prosthetics would be my guess on on his head, on the top of his head and towards the back. It was very well done. I mean, seriously, it's quite great. And I think his costume lends that self to, I am not like you, I'm not, I'm not a human. You knew something was up with him from the beginning that he was not even a humanoid at all. So one, one of the things I have to take issue with you, Zach, was his, his costume. Um, <laughs> for many of us, probably you know five or six years older than me, in 1977 through 1979, there were a lot of people wearing that exact outfit with a lot of gold chains, um, <laughs> hitting dance floors all across the country. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to say, you know, he kind of set the trend before it became popular and then just dissolved. But I thought that he was... Um, the perfect villainous robot, uh, just you know, scary, intimidating. As you as you both spoke to his his very deep voice, um, you know, it, it, and it's it's just like the Cobra Might maneuver. Same with Ted Cassidy, right? Um, yeah, who did the voice of uh, that character as well? And it just it just was like uh, Blaylock, Baylock, Baylock. I can mm -hmm. say it. Um, you know, it, it it just it just resonated, but it, it's uh it's it's not an uncommon thing to see as as time went on and probably times before that you would have this big hulking robotic mess, uh, you know, um, evil person or, or whatnot just just there, um, knowing that he was going to be an incredible adversary. And you always think when you see that, how do they defeat something like that? Whether you know it's human or not, it's just one big mother that you have to take down. But um, you know, obviously, right, the 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 costuming might have been a little corny, but it didn't take away from from the 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 intimidation, the the fear, the the whole thing. It was uh, it was it was really really well done. It was cast perfectly. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it being done by anyone else or pulling it off. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, he, he can just lift up William Shatner with ease in a lot of these scenes. You know, that, that just adds to his <laughs> intimidation factor. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's uh, the muscle. Yeah, the rag doll. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, were there any cables involved? I mean, he was a big guy. Yeah. And Shatner's not small, but, man, yeah, you wonder sometimes, you know. <laughs> I know I, I know there were. I'm just saying it's just, it's just incredible. Now, you're talking about defeating him, for example. Like, Kirk uses logic, right? This is the first. Right. Kirk versus the computer, you know? He's like, yes, survival equation, ah! And, you know, he freaks out. And, and this is something that Kirk would continue to do with, with just, you know, just mere computers. This is the first time he does against an android. And so for a, I don't know, though, and th this is a trope we'll, we'll continue to discuss here. For these super sophisticated mm. androids, it seems like the most simple, like, logic puzzle or contradiction completely throws off their programming. Like, is it is it a case of what, what did they say in Star Trek Three? like, the more... Uh, 
the more complicated they make the plumbing, the easier it is to clog up the drain, right? Is that is that what's going on here with these with these androids? What do you guys think? Yeah, uh, that's it's really silly, but I can see why they why they did it. But that that somehow computing these things that are I don't know, it just makes me laugh. I'm like, really? Come on. Now. It's like you just it's hold a, up a sign that says divide by zero it's, and it would shut all these guys down. Like, it's, it's you know, I, I don't know. Like, but hey, is it, is, it, is it all that different than telling the board to go to sleep? I don't know. <laughs> but it's just these simple things, right? Yeah, well, I, and I think that's, um, uh, you know, I, I hate to keep going back to Star Wars, right? But you, you defeat the huge space station by finding the smallest weakness, you know, uh, and what they're designed to do and what they can handle. And in today's world, you know, it's it's amazing how many people are able to still hack and get into into things. I mean, we it's so sophisticated, and yet some people can employ some of the simplest tactics to destroy things or to screw you up. Um, it's you know, there's there's just entryways and different ways of of defeating technology. Uh, it's always been the case. It becomes a very common trope, as you say in Star Trek. The the, the ability to do it with these very simplistic well, questions or making them, quote-unquote, have to think when they truly can't. Um, they process, I guess. But, uh, you know, to me, it's, it was the first time you saw this, 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 this way of defeating any enemy, right? Or in Star Trek, you know, I'm not going to kill them. They, they would go a different way all the time. And I think what they were trying to establish is that people are better than machines. And that was a very common theme even in the 50s 60s 70s and to today it's 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 changing but the fear of the computer and that we're always better yeah. you know like flying a starship with a human being out of booby trap because a computer can't uh, you know <laughs> it, that's it's the most ridiculously stupid premise on the world but it was effective and emotional right and you just go oh okay you know we'll just we'll just thrust and move this around, you know, so that, that, that contingency wouldn't be in the computer's mind. That's, that's kind of silly to me. So it's, it's the same thing. It's, 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 it's people over, over mechanisms. And, yeah. And, um, and, and that's what, even all Ruck, it is. Ruck tells Kirk that he's like, you're inferior. You cannot be programmed. And it's like, yeah, but because you can't be programmed, like humanity can roll with it. You know, we can, Oh, chaos is happening. Well, let's, let's, all right, let's figure out how to, how to adapt. You know, these, these robots and androids just can't. They're stuck in their programming. That that is that is their their greatest yep. weakness. And you know, talking about how does Rook get destroyed? He gets shot by a phaser. <laughs> okay, and who's he get shot by a phaser by? Is Doctor Corby. Now, Doctor Corby is the mastermind of this whole thing in this episode. Uh, it's a twist. You know, to your point, Haley. Everybody seems human. You know, this is a you know, number one, and he's he's been an android the whole time. What a twist, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, he's still here, and this is this is unsettling stuff in this episode because this guy, like, he was dying, so he transferred himself into an android. And and uh, he has fooled himself into thinking it was like a hundred percent transfer, and uh, he he I will say he does a better job. You know I, I don't know if it was because we have Doctor Corby, we have Doctor Brown, and we have Andrea in this episode. And they're all androids, and Doctor Brown's the first one we meet, and he's I don't know I don't know if like they didn't do the process entirely or what on him, but he wasn't that good of a copy. <laughs> he was very robotic and like oh hello Christine, I am going to take you to the doctor now, and like very often <laughs> that guy. So I don't know what his deal was. Uh, I think Corby probably got better as he copied people. Probably Brown was the first one. I don't know. Um, and Andrea, I don't. Do you guys think she was a copy of someone, or do you think that that she was just created from scratch? I, oh, I thought she was created from scratch. Oh, I'm sorry, Keely. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say the same thing. I don't think she was a copy of anybody else. Okay. 
Because Brent, I think when Brent and I were talking, we thought maybe she was also part of this team, and he just made a copy. I don't know. That's kind of up for interpretation. Now, um, there are some uh, implications made about what's going on with her and Dr. Corby. And, you know, the, hey, this is the 60s, right? This is, not, this is not Westworld time. This is not Game of Thrones time. They can only imply things tastefully. But I def- even even Chaplin, though, so like, she's like, yeah, I, th- I think I know what's going on here. So that, that's, definitely, that's definitely a factor on what's going on uh, in this episode. But uh, uh, the, the, all these robots are serving their, their function and purpose as created by Dr. Corby. But Dr. Corby, right, um, it's kinda, he's kind of a tragic figure because at the end he's, like, trying to convince them that he is still himself. But he's not. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my interpretation of it was it, it was easy to fool himself until he really had to, like, start being a, being a human being and, and interacting with other humans. When you're around, when you're around other androids, it's, even, it's easy to think, like, yeah, I'm still a human, whatever, right? But when other people right. start coming in and you're confronted by that, you realize you're, you're uh, the gaps of your, of your humanity that are missing. And uh, you know, would you guys – I'll pose you guys this question because, uh, you know, I would never do this, probably because I've watched enough Star Trek and science fiction to – to, <laughs> to scare me from it. I would never transfer my consciousness into an android body. I have no desire to do that. Um, and then again, I would be really worried that you know, something would be missing in the, in the copy and paste there. Uh, that's just me. I don't know. Would you, do you guys want to live forever in an android body if it was available to you, if we get the technology? Because, hey, we're, technology's moving along at a great pace. In our lifetime, this might be an option. So what do, what do you think, Ken? What are your thoughts on that? You're asking me first, huh? I would say it depends. Um, today, uh, with the you know when i look at things am i healthy whatever all of those things i I can't see what it would bring me um as as my kids get older and if grandkids come and and you 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 want to see and watch them grow there's so many different factors act that i Mm -hmm. think you know right now i would say no i don't think that it's the right thing to do either i think you know we have our time we move on our our kids kind of um, become you know our our portion of immortality you know, I, I'll, I'll I'll leave discussion for for the afterlife at another time. But I I do I do think that um, you know it, it, it all depends if if you're in miserable pain and you're rather young, uh, you know, like say two or three years from now, if I was in that that option became available so that I could still be with my family and be without pain or something, it changes the whole answer. I think it's it's uh, to me that's a living documented question that could change with time. No. <laughs> I'm like you, Zach. I, I think I've seen enough things that it's just like there would be that piece that's missing. And even if we advance the technology and these we're able to make them extremely human in as much as we possibly can, loading my consciousness into something else. There was that one science fiction movie with Johnny Depp where he un- he uploaded and then like... <laughs> He ended up that taking was, over like the entire world or something that like that. Was like, a, no. that was transcendence. That was a terrible yeah. movie. That was a great was, concept. I was yeah. very excited about that movie because I'm like, this is really cool, like the singularity and all that stuff. But the execution was so bad. But yes, <laughs> don't do so, it. The movies like that are why we don't do it. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's that whole like, you know, we're we've got all these like robot movie uprising things and it's just like I could just see this going downhill very quickly. But on the other hand, you know, you have to wonder, okay, we create these and we upload our consciousness into these robots. Would we be able to advance and and do things that Star Trek shows us? Go into space. Because if you're in an android body, you're able to travel because time doesn't matter anymore. You're going to live forever, right? 
we could take all the time we need to take that it would get to Mars and colonize Mars and be able to do all these things. So, like, that would be cool because then I'd still be able to do that even after hundreds of years of being dead. <laughs> I Listen, if, if I was put into a robot body and took over the world, it would be a much better place. So let's try it. That is exactly why people don't need to be given trust me. Trust me. Believe me, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Zach, I'll give I'll give you Brazil. I promise. It's I want a nice Aus- country. I want Australia. So I, I, I figured you'd say Australia, Australia. Mr. Superman. <laughs> yes, like, like Nixon. Australia. There you go, Lex Luthor. There okay. it is. Austra- you, Australia is yours. Haley, you let me know. I want Italy. It's very small, but okay. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. So, and you know, and, and the and the wrap up these guys portion of the conversation. Their ultimate goal, Doctor Kirby's ultimate goal, is to make uh, transfer everyone into robots and then program out negative behavior. And I think that is that is the great danger of this. Is like who is in charge of this? Who is in charge of turning people into robots? What is their purpose? We can already see, you know, Kirk has this kind of mental like, uh, so you're half breed interference, Mister Spock. Right, so like even something like that can totally throw off your duplicate and like what their reactions to things are going to be. One little you plug in the wrong thing somewhere, you got you know robots going crazy. Plus, you know that that is again talking about you know science fiction, the dangers of technology. You know that goes back to you know Doctor Jack and Mister Hyde or something. Like let's find the negative stuff of people and get rid of it, and that always backfires. You know, uh, and that's like eugenics through robotics, right? And that, so that's. Picking and choosing what things they are carried on to people like that is a slippery slope you don't want to go down. Uh, but thinking about that, I mean that's kind of what uh, to tie into Enterprise. You know they have Eric Soon. He started out with like you know eugenics and biology and all that, uh, the augments. And then at the end he's like, ooh, cybernetics. That's the answer, right? So so he was kind of on that on that same path. And and uh, uh, it's interesting to start to pick up that thread years later uh and and ultimately uh you know ruck got destroyed by kirk messing up his mind with logic and then he got phasered and then andrea got messed up by captain kirk's pure masculinity throwing off her (laughs) emotions with kissing and all that stuff uh, awakening that emotions in her and Mm -hmm. then dr corby got thrown off by just the fact that he could not accept the fact that he wasn't himself anymore uh so they all they all got defeated in their own ways but but uh, and, and as kirk does you know he did a did a did a great job wiping out <laughs> wiping out these computers. So, I, I think it was the spinning centrifuge. It just it knocked something loose in the duplication process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of that, you know, I know that the, I know that like the green mold body is kind of cheesy. Oh the, the, the way I choose to see it is like, all right, this is a this is a malleable external kind of thing. You know, because we got skin and all this stuff from these duplicates. So that's the exterior. But inside all that. It's very sophisticated technology that we just don't see. So that's the way I choose to see this very cheesy 60s representation of this is how you make an Android. So, <laughs> Yeah, the spinning centrifuge just it throws me off. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> you know, we talk, what it, was it Voyager? Don't they have biological circuitry? Yeah, the gel packs, yeah. Yeah, I, I just mean even you know if the the circuit breaks or whatever, it kind of regenerates because it's somehow bio. I, I don't you know, I okay, don't well, understand the any sufficiently advanced there, technology but. is indistinguishable from magic, and that's what we're seeing here. So that's all I have to say. So there you go. Okay, that's anyway, fair enough. <laughs> moving Done. on to our next batch of androids, uh, I Mud. Now these these guys are from quote unquote the makers, which sounds suspiciously like the old ones. You know, so I don't know if they're just borrowing from earlier Android episodes, but they were from the Andromeda Galaxy, 
which I believe mm-hmm. is, is it is it the Kelvins or the ones right. by any other name? The Kelvins. That's yep. a popular but name Galaxy, in Star Trek, right? It is, and galaxies are very big, so it's possible, mm-hmm. right, that they wouldn't know each other. Mm-hmm. We have we have this android officer named Norman who had just been transferred to the Enterprise. I don't know, like three days before. And uh, it's actually kind of a funny intro to him. He walks by McCoy in the hallway. McCoy complains to Spock about something weird about a guy who doesn't smile and doesn't emote and doesn't talk about his personal life. And Spock's like, oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's a very self-aware, clever thing there. McCoy's like, hey, look, Spock, it's it's different for humans, okay? The ears make all the difference. So anyway, that that was was a good kind of setup setup for that. And um, uh, I, I was confused on how this guy got like a a job in Starfleet. He's a lieutenant. He's got a stripe on his uniform. So how do, how do, how do you think this guy infiltrated Starfleet to get on the Enterprise? My thought is somehow because it's it's mud. He somehow faked records to get this person on the ship. I don't know because clearly he couldn't have gone to Starfleet. Right. <laughs> I mean, really. So that, uh, that's I just my think thought. he went. Yeah, I think he just went to the uniform store. Said, ah, "Lieutenant stripes." <laughs> Threw it on, you know. It, Went it to the Starfleet surplus store, right, Ken? So <laughs> you you can do things like I mean, you see stolen valor things all the time. Uh, so there's there's people out there that that uh, can definitely do things like that. And I don't know. I'm trying to remember, you know, if there was incidents with with people getting on ships and not knowing they were there. I know people that hit on ships, kind of like court martial. Uh, that actually happened in the Navy fairly recently, where a guy. You know, uh, they pretended that he was, you know, lost overboard. He was actually hiding in engineering. Did really? you hear about that? No. Yeah, it was about seven or eight months ago. Well, life so that, imitates that actually, art, huh? Wow. Yeah, life imitates art. So, I, I, you know, the way I always looked at it is um, I don't think he went to Starfleet. I don't think anywhere. I, you know, he, he somehow got into a place where they had both, um, you know, a, a civilian or military base, star base, star planet, whatever you want to call it, and you know, um, it, it, to me, it's like you can see it in any spy movie or whatever. Uh, you know, getting false records, getting a false passport, whatever it was. I, you know, I, I didn't think that was the biggest deal for him to to get there. I figured there's a thousand ways it could have happened. Being an android, he was clearly very technically skilled. As we see him take over the Enterprise with no sweat, so I'm sure he could have falsified some records and, and whatnot. But, Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, no, it, it and was he, he looked pretty approach. innocent. I mean, yeah, you know, he's. Norman. I mean, come no, on. What a, what a <laughs> harmless you name. You can't... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a very, you know, non-threatening name. Let's just call him Norman, okay? I mean, I mean he's like Norman Bates, right? He wasn't threatening or yeah. anything. Or, or Norman C. Lau. <laughs> Nicest Norman guy in the C. world. Well, now I'm going to watch him differently. Yeah, that's right. Watch out for those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was an interesting in, you know, because instead of, like... Uh, a hostile presence has beamed on board and is taking over the ship. It's like the infiltration factor was a nice little wrinkle to this whole plan for these guys, I thought. And, and uh, Norman takes over the Enterprise with, with ease. Uh, and, th- and this, of course, made me think of, you know, like Data when taking over the Enterprise and, like, Brothers, right? He's just, like, in TNGs. He's like, all right, push a few buttons here, push a few guys out of the way. Um, now I'm in control of your ship. Like, seriously, androids are extremely dangerous to have on your ship. <laughs> if something goes wrong... Like you can't, you cannot stop them. Like literally, he goes, you know, he does all this stuff. He goes up to the bridge. And he's like, "Yeah, uh, you're, if you phaser me, uh, I ha- I've triggered the ship to blow up, and you can't physically overpower me. So we're just gonna go here, and it's gonna take four days. So everybody, just calm down, settle in, and we're gonna go where I want to go." And they're like, "Oh, I guess we are." Uh, yep. But and he's uh, gonna take a little nap. He just mm-hmm. takes. It's so weird. He like goes into <laughs> goes into sleep mode. He literally goes into yeah. sleep mode. 
Uh, like right in, in the most inconvenient spot, right in front of the doors. <laughs> it's like this guy. It was on is... purpose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you wonder if there were guys running to the uh, to the head crazily when he woke up. It's like get out of the way, gotta go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he is uh, he is sabotaged, as we say on standard orbit, the ship here. And uh, mm-hmm. in, or- in order to prove in order to prove that he's a robot, he opens up his uh, his his belly button, or, or I guess lack of belly button, right? Because he's an android. That's another sign that he's not real and uh the, and i wanted to mention this in the uh, they're in not the, shy in the yeah, in the remastered version this is like an a plus remastering job for tos remastered because in the original series uh version they open up his stomach and it's like you know transistors and wires and stuff and that's fine because that's well, that's what tos technology was transistor punk as i've heard it described and i like to describe mm-hmm. it myself but you know, hey, we're gonna update. We're gonna it's 2006. We're gonna remaster some TOS stuff. They rarely did like live action stuff. They mainly focused on the ship. But when they had a chance, they spruced it up. And I really liked what they did here uh, for an episode with a lot of with not a lot of other opportunities for remastering. They had time to do this, so that you know when he opens up his stomach, you see it's it's very like you know an alien looking technology you know circuit board, if you will. And and I really liked that change, and and, and it made it less. You know, we're we're joking about the. The, the green blob from what a girl, girl's made of, this kind of separates it from that, of, like, updates the technology to an Android you would theoretically see today or in the future of today. Yeah, yeah, they did a very nice job with that. I, I hadn't thought about that, but, yeah, they did. I like that at least, you know, when he moves, like, when he kind of, like, karate chops the one dude in the neck, <laughs> at least he, like, he moves more like what you would think an Android does or an Android should, right? Or a robot should, or how he sounds well, when he talks. Yeah. So you're like, okay, clearly they didn't realize that something was up that this dude was not human. I mean, well, McCoy, McCoy did. McCoy, McCoy is yeah, on the well, radar out for that. But <laughs> he knew but something was up, like but he didn't days. know what. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to your point, the all these these robots here, androids, right? Interchangeable term is it? Is it not? I don't know, but. Uh, they they are more robotic. They are they are less you know because the the whole Corby androids are supposed to you know in theory you know replace humanity and and be transfers of consciousnesses and whatnot. And these guys are just straight up robots that were created to serve people. So there was none of that going on there. Uh, and they like have their have their ceiling of replicating human behavior, and that's and that's it. You know they can function and exist and and not draw too much attention maybe if they keep their head down. But if you spend enough time with them and interact with them enough. You're gonna see that, that they're robots, and, and as we ultimately find out, uh, yeah, they have been sent by Harry Mud to go get a ship because he's stuck on this planet, Planet Mud, Mud the First. Um, Harry Mud back again of the two episodes that he's in. I, I like goes some better than Mud's Women, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a conversation for another th- another time. But uh, they, we get to this planet, and there are two hundred thousand of these androids on this planet. We see about I don't know twelve of them. <laughs> You know, so, uh, yep. And we, we hear about all this amazing technology. Don't see that either. Um, uh, but it's interesting here that um, there are series of androids. You know, I thought that was interesting. It was like, you know, like the Terminator, right? They're on an assembly line, and they all have the same face, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like there's like 500 Alice's and, you know, uh, all these, you know, they have all these names and whatnot. Yeah, and... Battlestar Galactica stole that complete idea, the new version, didn't it? <laughs> now that you think about it, there were only five copies. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. There are 12 yeah. silent models, right? Yeah. But there's only one Norman, right? There's and only one Norman. Norman. And he is the control of the entire thing. And I don't understand, like, Spock says this in the episode. He's like, well, clearly all these androids cannot function independently. I'm like, well, why, why not? I don't, <laughs> well, I don't understand that logic. 
of like other than the plot like we have to destroy the main cut off the snake's head and the body will die kind of stuff turn off the droid control yeah. ship and the battle droids will shut down like i don't understand right. i don't understand why these can't be independent uh, androids yeah it, it is funny i think when they write these episodes that you literally have to move the target around the arrow so that you can get back and, and win somehow, right? And if you if you if you over if you, if you if you overcomplicate the way to win, and I don't know um, I don't know much. Maybe Haley, you do in terms of how things are written in Hollywood, because it's just one of those things. I'm, I'm I don't know if they come up with a concept or they work their way backwards. You know, where, where are you trying to go, and then you you kind of you kind of pull it out, or if it's just luck. You know, oh geez, we have to come up with an ending for this. Because uh, I, I know in, in Star Trek, the motion picture, it was the, the kind of did it as they went. But uh, to me, it, it, it literally was that it's it's we have to be able to defeat them. There's only, you know, the X number of people that are down from the ship versus 200,000. Um, they're not going to do it with swords. It's going to take a really long time, you know. So it's, it's like you have to come up with that method. And in God knows it is a very, very common way. You know, one centralized ship, one centralized computer. Um, I guess that alone makes us better than the machines, doesn't it? Well, it's it, it is interesting. I mean, why they couldn't just go after Norman and oh, we have to let's make all this nonsense, which is really fun. I mean, it's silly and it's fun, but it's like okay, we have to like take down all these other ones in order to get him. And I'm like, okay. I guess I don't there should be a way that you can take down the one and then it just eliminates the rest of them and I'm like okay well they they got they got 50 minutes to fill here yeah, I know and they, and they made it fun <laughs> they did it was fun it was silly <laughs> it was fun it was nonsense but it was fun it fit the tone of the episode I mean as Harry Mudd is around it's always kind of a lighthearted affair oh come on Chekhov had some of the best lines in his in his career in that movie and uh, that show and then the letting know, I, I just, oh yeah 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 it, it just it was it was just great or you know uh, you were created by you know dot 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you just see what what a you know a nineteen or a twenty year old guy would be like, woohoo! <laughs> and uh, you know, so I completely get that. But I also thought it was just perfect for Spock to be the one going, "I love you, but I hate you." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, to me, that was just the the um, the cleverness or the dichotomy in that. I thought was just okay. That's what made the episode so much fun. They just they just um, they they made it work uh, through all of it. As silly and quote unquote as it was, it was equally clever. I, yeah. I like what Mud told uh, Spock when they showed up. He's like, "You'll love it here, Spock. Everyone here talks just like you." So yes, <laughs> you heard uh, uh, backhanding Chekhov is my favorite <laughs> because she likes him. Uh, so yeah, so the, it's the, great. These guys' ultimate goal was first to like observe humanity. Like like Mud was like a like a, a specimen one, and they wanted to see more specimens. So uh, mm-hmm. they, they get the Enterprise crew. Allegedly, they beam down the whole crew. Uh, the only extra one we see is Scotty after the first landing party beams down. I'm sure all 400 of the rest of the guys are down there somewhere. They're in those awesome rooms you never get to see, right? But uh, after studying humanity some more, they, they determine that, that we are not, uh, we're too dangerous to be running around the galaxy. We're a liability to ourselves and to others. So they're going to take, the, take over the Enterprise, and, and they're going to start serving humanity, make them more docile, give them all their needs so they don't want to go out and, and do what we do. Um, which is interesting. You know, these are there are a lot of heavier Star Trek themes in this episode. They're just kind of like thrown in there as like you know just kind of plot points and and more played more humorously than in other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know for example, 
uh, they're trying to like win all these, win all the main uh, crew over, right? So like Scotty, like, hey, look at this awesome engineering technology, and, McCoy, and they show McCoy, like, hey, look at all this awesome medical technology. Again, of course, things we never see, but that's beside the point. Uh, with Uhura, it, they tell like, oh, you can you can transfer into an android body and live forever. And she's like, oh, that sounds great. And that's like, hey guys, remember, remember like last year where we talked about that, and that was really dark, depressing, like. Uh, uncomfortable thing that you know you lose your humanity and your spark of soul or whatever. No, no, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to use that as a plot point here. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, fair enough. And I get the lack of continuity in the show, but I it's just interesting to see how the different tones of the different episodes gonna can like bring up mm-hmm. the same ideas and approach them differently, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's common too. I mean, we 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 sometimes hit similar situations, but we don't reflect back on how we dealt with things. And uh, it, it is amazing to me how often. We reinvent the wheel to solve problems when the answers have been discovered in the past. It's human nature. It really is. You you don't always follow the same kind of pattern or script. Some people do, but uh, I find it very, very common. And I see it when I when I travel to different places and I go, yeah, we've had that problem before and these guys had it. Why didn't you reach out to them to solve it? No, we brought in our own consultants to figure I just, yeah, <laughs> okay. You know, it's just it's just the funniest thing. But that... that is exactly what happened probably in the writer's room and if it was reality that probably wouldn't be too far-fetched from it because it's just human nature yeah what did y'all think of the uh (laughs) stella robot i love the stella oh my gosh yeah (laughs) how could you not love the stella robot it's so great (laughs) is it it, isn't it an appropriate punishment for Harry Mudd to have to uh, interact with 500 copies of his ex-wife on this planet indefinitely. Yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I thought that, you know, I, I thought it was funny as heck and, uh, you know, and, and what they did at the end. I, I mean, listen, I know there's a lot of talk about Harry Mudd and this, and, and I know people, you know, we look through things for a different lens now, but I, I always liked this episode a lot. I just, it was just, it was fun, it was light, and... Um, uh, the, the robot element of it that we're talking about now, I thought was very clever and creative. They're, the way they defeated them was funny, and I, I just took the whole thing. And, and I, I think that ending was perfect for the theme and where we were going in this episode. It just, you know, just the look on his face was great. You know, it, it fits. Um, the, it fits I, the tone. Yeah, it, it does. I, I mean, I, could, I can't think of a, a better way to kind of end that episode. To be honest with you, it was funny. I'm intrigued. Like, why is it that they can only make 500 they can't make less than 500 and it's never more than 500 it's 500 well it's like it's it's quantity right it's like it's like more expensive to make one or two of something and if you make a mass quantity you know your, your cost goes down you know i mean it's just it's just common uh, <laughs> economics 101 right there so that's excellent I, excellent so let's go into star trek trekonomics now so <laughs> let's know <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, but you know, I I believe that Harry Mudd would make a replica of his ex-wife just to, like tell her to shut up because that's the kind of guy that would do that. And I like how that you're like, oh man, yeah. that's, that's messed yeah. up. And then, but then again, it comes back around at the end to bite him in the ass. So get, get on you. It it's does. And the, and the thing is, everything she's saying, you know, good this that. And that. She's right. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent accurate. Yeah, hundred percent accurate. He's such a ball, right? Oh, and uh, you know, I, I thought it was great. But, uh, but yeah, to, ra- to wrap up the, the, this portion, uh, they as, as silly as this episode was at times, they I wish they really hadn't gone with the, the smoking head for Norman at the end when he shorts out. I'm like, that is the most cartoonish thing to do uh, for him. But, but again, a cartoonish episode, so it all, it all does fit. 
if these androids are independent, like like other all the other androids you see in Star Trek, they the crew never wouldn't stand a chance. We have two hundred thousand of unstoppable androids, so that's what we yeah, got. Yeah, and it is kind of weird, Zach, that at the end they're all back. Yeah, I guess they would. They control. They're, they're operational. Them, or... <laughs> yeah, they did something. You know, it's never really kind of captured as to. All right, you know, um, they were able to be quote unquote defeated, but at the end, you know, they, they were there again and functional. So I don't know. That's a, that's a good kind point. Of a I didn't, they, they didn't address that at all, did they? <laughs> no, they did not. They did not at all. It's no. like, okay, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, we were wrong. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're back now. Interesting. And this so. planet is okay. So just if we're keeping score, all the XO3 androids were destroyed. That's done. Planet Mud yep. here. They're all still there, so somebody should have told Data about this planet <laughs> in the next generation. <laughs> That's right. So. That's right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a loose thread. It's a it loose is. thread. So, uh, Maybe that could be the next Star Trek Kelvin Timeline movie. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what they're doing. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, I, I, yeah, I can't wait. So moving on <laughs> to the next episode. No. Uh, th- th- this one, the, it, Return to Tomorrow. We talked about this one recently in our in our uh, Dr. Pulaski on TOS episode uh, with yes. Diana Maldar. So mm-hmm. these androids never even become operational, but I think they're worth mentioning because it's kind of a it's a conversation piece in the episode. Uh, we have these aliens. We, I don't think we ever learned the, plan- the planet's name. I just know it was Sargon and his people. Uh, That's right. Created these androids with a really advanced technology because they're tens of thousands of years old. Uh, but but the really advanced technology cannot create androids that have like the sensation of touch. I'm like, come right. on, that is like, why, well, come on, step your game up, right? But yeah, I, I would I'm a hundred percent in uh, the camp of the, the the aliens that don't want to go into these androids because it's like, look, I don't want to like live in this shell where I can't even like interact with the world around me or have any feeling like like we're, we're like it's one thing to be like okay we're gonna transfer your consciousness in this android you're gonna feel like yourself you're gonna be like yourself there might be some spark of your soul that might be missing but i don't know we'll, we'll, we can only find out when it happens right but this you you, you only go into it like yeah you're, you're just gonna be like a, an observer in your own body you're not gonna be able to feel anything or and i don't i don't they didn't really address emotions like i, I if you can't have tactile touch i don't even want to think about how like you're your emotional mind transfers in this computer. So I was very disappointing in the realm of Star Trek androids. These guys were, huh? Yes, they were. And, um, it, it, I don't know. It's it, when, when you go on a roll like that, it's kind of like, yep. Mm-hmm, yep. You're right. I, there, there isn't a lot to add because one, I, I, I like the episode, but when you, when you, when you circle it back into this topic, you're spot on. It's like, we've lost something here. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why uh, it regressed in its technology for something that's quote unquote you know years and years advanced beyond uh, beyond their own technology at the time. So I I agree with you. It, I I guess it it has a lot to do with the fact that it's very episodic, uh, and and they don't they don't trace back very often in TOS to previous episodes. They just don't. And so when these things pop up. Uh, you just you have to take it um, very individual, almost as if the other episodes didn't exist. And then when it comes to doing a podcast like this, you're like, "What are you guys thinking?" <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's just it's it's just inconsistent to say the least. I yeah. Although I do have to agree, I think it's really neat when when they're going to make the android 
and they've got like the form and you can see the arms but then it's empty and but it's got all the wiring and everything like that and all like the mechanical innards I like that aspect of it I think that was great because it's like yeah I mean how would it look on the inside in a TOS era Android how you know how are we gonna make this move and function although it turns out way too shiny that Android is like super shiny <laughs> That is what the inside of the green blob from what a Lord was made of look like. All right, if we had we seen the schematic there, it would look just like that. Okay, so just there you go. Put that away. File that away in your head cannon. But okay. um, <laughs> but I think you know uh, it, we're, you know in the last episode we were talking about like creating the facts to serve the end of the story they want to get to. You know right. they had they had to make these androids undesirable for these aliens, or they just if they was like oh a perfect android let's just go into it. You know, but that was a huge thing. Like, well, we won't be able to touch or feel or do anything, but we'll be alive, I guess. Our our intellect will be around. Uh, but that was that was a point of debate and, and a necessary one to kind of turn the other aliens uh, off yeah. on going into those bodies. Yeah, and and it circles back to your question about living forever in an android body, right? What mm -hmm. is its capability? Mm -hmm. Well, there's yeah. a great and there's there's a great episode of Superman the animated series uh, about Metallo. Metallo is a Superman villain uh, who is a cyborg. He kind of looks basically like the Terminator, but he has a kryptonite heart, right? Uh, and there's a guy who's like works for Lex Luthor, who's like a mercenary, but he gets in an accident, and Lex Luthor transfers him into this body. And what drives him crazy is the fact that like he's he's a guy he loves like like uh, the pleasures of life, you know, food, smell, touch, all that stuff, right? Uh, but he gets into this body. And he can't feel anything, right? And Lex Luthor's like, oh, it's okay. We're going to have upgrades. You know, don't worry. This is stage one, right? But he, he starts driving crazy, and he, like, goes to the scientist. He's like, hey, what's going on here? Where are my upgrades? He's like, what, you, what upgrades? There's no upgrades. This is how it is, man. And that's what eventually pushed him over the edge. And I feel that fascinating because, yeah, I think as a human living life, where if you were transferred into something where you couldn't, like, you, all your senses are, are nullified to zero, that would drive you crazy. So definitely, if I'm not going to go in those nope. other bodies, I'm certainly not going to go in one like this. That's right. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I'm, no I wouldn't living. want to look like a man. <laughs> well, I think I think uh, Henoch is the the Spock yelling. He's like, "Oh, we'll we'll adjust this body for you." You know, <laughs> but yeah. It's oh my so gosh, you could hear the BS in that <laughs> from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, he wasn't gonna do that. Come on, no. <laughs> mm -mm. Despite the uh, homicidal and tendencies of all these other androids, these still these are still the worst. So. Uh, moving on to our next episode, mm -hmm. uh, Requiem for Methuselah. Uh, Flint, the Flint, 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 Mr. Flint, Flint good old Flint. Mm -hmm. uh, he was who? Uh, da Vinci. He was Brahms. Uh, you know, he, he, so mm -hmm. th this man lived for centuries on Earth, and uh, Mr. Flint. He's on a remote planet now, and he's the origin of our next android, Rana Kapek. Uh, which interesting that the name he gave. I don't know where he came up with that, but uh, this is a weird kind of relationship here. Uh, he's creating androids to, uh, well, he lives, he lives forever, right? And he has been, not been able to, obviously, it's like kind of a Highlander situation, right? You keep falling in love with people, they, they grow old, they die, you know, you're lonely over the centuries. So he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll create the perfect woman so I can live forever and she can live forever with me. And that's what he's going on. That's, lucky for him, he's a genius and he can do these things. Uh, but, like, you know, I think if you spend 10,000 hours on anything, you're a genius and you live forever. You know, you can be a genius on everything. So that pretty much explains why he's so good at all this stuff, right? He just had time to do it. If we all had 10,000 years, we'd be a great artist and musician and scientist too. But anyway, this is a creepy deal, right? Because, like, when Kirk and Spock and McCoy show up, it's kind of like a, like a father-daughter, like, uh, relationship, you know, from just your perspective. But then you realize what this guy is going for. 
and he's trying to awaken. He cannot get emotions out of uh, the Reina androids. And as we find out, he's had a series, and they all have failures and whatnot. Kirk, as Kirk does, right, through his pure masculinity, is able to pull out the emotions from her, and that is ultimately her downfall. But but what what is your guys' take on this whole situation here with Flint and, and Reina? What about you, Haley? Uh. Yeah, it's it's interesting that when, you know, they show up on the planet, he wants them gone. And then suddenly the light bulb switches on and he's like, oh, wait, one of these people could bring emotions in her and then she'll fall in love with me. And it's like, oh, my God, that's it is creepy. It's kind of weird. Um, actually, so according to Memory Alpha, um, the character was named for a Czechoslovakian writer who actually turned the uh, phrase uh, robot in a science fiction play called R-U-R. So that's where they get um, Raina's name from. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So anyway, he, named, but... he named her after Robot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, who knows if he did, but that's where at least they got the name from. But yeah, it's really interesting storyline. I mean, again, this one's really great because, you know, yes, you don't know that she is, but you can tell that something is off. Um, she's very interested in knowledge and learning and actually wants to talk with Spock. But then I think Flint pushes her towards Kirk mm -hmm. so that those emotions will come out. But really, oh, that just makes my eyes roll. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I guess the relationship, as you define, is creepy. I, I don't know how it would evolve in any other way because you're, you're doing two things. You're actually creating. So you're, you're creating, which means it's kindred, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, it, it is kind of a, a father-daughter thing, but yet he's looking for companionship forever. Um, and so the, the two kind of intersect in a, in a way that it's almost unavoidable. So it becomes a very, I think, very clever ethical question here as to, you know, he, he's, he's designing and creating, which is his child, um, but he's looking for a, you know, a companion forever, which is more like a wife. And so, like I said, it's, it's loaded with dichotomies. And I think it, it really makes you kind of think as to what your approach is, because you're right. The person doing it may not even realize that there's going to be a, a mix of, you know, that, that fatherly protection and that husbandly attraction. It's, it's bizarre. Uh, and, and I think that's what kind of makes this whole episode, to me, um, I, I always liked it. I, I always thought it was um, ingenious. First, the Flint character itself, I thought, was brilliant. You know, I, it's the way they kind of, you know, walked around and he had all these originals and, you know, and they kind of put all the pieces together. I, I thought, what a, what a clever plot device this is, you know, that this one person did all these things because... Uh, this person had been around and alive forever and and was able to come up with these great concepts inventions and or even just creativity and art and then you know this this desire to have um the love of one person because of all the loss that that that, that person had felt over their lives and then inevitably it comes where the x meets the y and it's just a mess like you you can't have everything and this guy has everything but the one thing you'd want which is companionship uh you know because most of us uh, a lot of us you know you want to find that that one true companion that you're going to grow old together with and so it's 
it's it's clever it's shakespearean almost it has elements of kind of the odyssey in this it's um it's one of those episodes that i thought was um really really well done and and i guess it because it ends again you know with the the emotional failings of an android it's like yeah okay we've seen that before in tos but i thought it might have been the most clever way of doing it in tos yeah she's torn between her love for him as a father versus uh flynn as a father versus her love for kirk as a you know lover i guess and then yes. you know they're different they're different, you know, the Greeks, right? They have, like, four words for love, right? But as, as English language here is very limited, right? So we just have one word right. for love. Like, I love my dog. I love tacos. You know, I love my girlfriend. Stuff like that, right? But on different levels, you know? So it's like uh, when uh, th- that, that, that I get what you're saying there, Cam, with, like, the whole definitions. And that, that's a whole, like, you know, spectrum of emotions that it's hard right. to program into an android and see that she's – and it's sad because she finally she's like I'm going to choose right at the end and she kind of and Kirk's like encouraging ironically they're both encouraging her to do something that it's ultimately going to fail her programming that's the tragedy of the episode yeah yeah that's what I mean it was it was it was cleverly done um tacos isn't number one is it Zach well I'm I'm not at liberty to discuss my personal life on this podcast so (laughs) okay I just I just wanted to check Uh, anyway, th- that's Requiem for Methuselah, a, 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 an often overlooked third season episode. I do recommend everyone check out. Uh, although that, this it's is a great a, episode. The, the, the fight, though, opinion. the fight between Flint and Kirk at the end, uh, mm-hmm. kind of lame. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I love All the right, mock I'll, time I'll music, say, but it's s- overplayed. <laughs> it, it is. I, I guess I'll say conceptually and and creative and creatively speaking, it's it's one of the better TOS episodes. I thought that's all. Mm-hmm. Well, going from one of the better TOS episodes to one of the better TOS movies, am I right, Ken? You are the, the best, actually, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about Star Trek <laughs> motion picture. When I, when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking, like, all right, episode, episode, episode. I don't really think there's any androids in the movie. Oh, wait, there's the Ilea probe in Star Trek uh-huh. the motion picture. I don't really think of her as an android or robot, but but she is. You know, But the thing is, right, we spend more time with the duplicate Ilea than we did with almost the original Right, because she's a new character. She's in a few scenes, and then she's gone, and now she's back with this 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 duplicate. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, she's got and a lot more lines, yeah, yeah, that's true. And <laughs> so, a, a few things about this one, you know, Viger makes these perfect copies, but what's what's with her voice here, guys? Does it does it bother you her robotic voice? Is that to say, look, guys, this is a robot, right? Is that why they they did this to have her voice be so like I'm um, through a modulator deal? Go ahead, Ken. She's a probe. And that's that's what she's designed to do, and so she is a machine, and and so she's she is very, I don't know what the right word is, electronic, very robotic, um, all of that. And it, it isn't until they they start to realize during the examination that, boy, they, the the detail in which they copied her, you know, as they say in the movie, you know, her sense of loyalty, love, affection, all that stuff may be in there. And when they start to pull that out, you find the voice becomes her own, mm-hmm. which is is pretty fascinating. But I think, you know, when you look at the motion picture and what it was trying to deliver, it was, you know, high tech, um, incredible technology. And I think just just doing the voice that way added that element where, you know, this is a mechanism. This is a thing. Uh, it, it brings you back, and, and so if you were if if they didn't do that effect, when her voice changes and doesn't say 
you know, Decker unit or whatever unit or whatever, you realize, okay, you are now back to dealing with the consciousness of what was Ilea. Mm. And, uh, okay. and so I think that's, that's really why they did it is because, okay, now it's clear who you're dealing with here. Is it the robot or is it your ally? That's an excellent point. Yeah, because she's like Decker. It's like, oh, fascinating. Not Decker unit. So that that's it's it's part of the story there. Well, we'll say. I, I guess I was thinking like again, thinking about oh, it's a computer, guys. You get it. Her voice is different, but it is a it is a a way to um, articulate the the changes going on in her character and as they go through the story. So good, great point. Good call. Yeah. Well, and you have to remember. I mean, at this point, we've kind of come far enough. We've had all these episodes with androids i appreciate that they make her sound very different because she is right it would be silly i don't know i like no i i just like it i enjoy how you like you like the differences Haley, between you like being able to tell the difference between humanity and technology (laughs) good on you because I, we I need agree. to know the differences, okay? It's when we don't know it, that that's when it's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's good to know who you're talking to, who the players on the board are. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it, it's it's probably because I've seen this movie more than a couple times that you're able to kind of put these pieces together. But her character, I thought, was a very strong character uh, in in the movie. It's 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 kind of. Um, a shame in, on one aspect, because I think in the uh, in the TV show she would have been reoccurring. Yeah, you know, she, she was going to be a main character on on yeah, phase she two. She was going to be part of the team, right? Just like Decker was, mm-hmm. and um, and and so the way they ended it, you know, with these two characters literally coming together and merging mm-hmm. um, again, you know, that that next evolution in humanity, you know, are they is is once again is is Star Trek, you know, kind of foreshadowing what's coming because. We talk about living in an android body and all that other stuff. This is different. This is this is bringing you know a living machine together with a living being, uh, living human being, and 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 it evolves. Obviously, you know this huge thing. It literally disappears. I, I don't even know what we get, but it's uh, it evolves into a higher incredible. plane of existence, Ken. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's, I mean, that's it's how I interpreted cool. it, right? I mean, I don't know what else. Well, to exactly. See. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly right. You know, it, it finds a way, and it's it's almost it's. Um, e- even in TNG, right? We we have a being that evolves, so it's it's non-corporeal. It it you know it, it just it, it it goes beyond um, what our definition of you know uh, living is. It, it's it's incredible. So very spiritual, and and it's it was it was kind of a neat concept. You know, I, I thought uh, the two things about the the this movie that were really cool was that there was this very simple machine with very simple programming that was then made into something that had more knowledge than than anything had ever accumulated you know galactically and then it evolves with its creator which is you know to one degree or another something we're all hoping to do you know those that believe in that so it's 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 kind of a neat thing yeah so Ilea I didn't really know if that was just wishful thinking on the crew's part or just, you know, Decker reading into it. But, um, because you think like, why would, I thought, you know, the, the probe was just using like the Ilea, like avatar, right? You know? But I guess it's just the way it's the function of how Vidra copies things, right? It is just, that's why the real Ilea is there. I mean, is that the, is that the, the idea there, Ken? Yeah. It, it wants to understand, you know, it's role in its, pro- so it, to me, it would almost be like, um, inner space, you know, in a sense where you're entering the body of something that you've 
you know, you're, you're, you're like, okay, the, the enterprise is the real entity. Um, what, what are these, uh, whatever, whatever it is, carbon these units. cells, these carbon based <laughs> units. Yes, exactly. But what, what is their function? You know, are they a risk? Um, mm. You know, will they infect my body? That type mm. of thing. So mm. understanding yeah. their purpose. I, I thought, you know, mm. it, was, it was pretty clever yeah. because you have, you have to look at through the lens of the machine that's looking at the machine. You know, infest is quite a word. Yeah, be, being the eyes and ears of Viger, uh, I, I did I did think that was a very unique perspective, talking about the carbon units, uh, infestation. Mm-hmm. You know, the, this device serves no purpose. Like, I'll say, that's a line I'll use <laughs> sometimes. Like, if I think of something stupid, like, this device serves no purpose. <laughs> you know, when she's talking about the games and stuff, a very cold, logical way to way to look at things. And, uh, and, and yeah, the, uh, just uh, bringing high-concept sci-fi at the end, because you don't defeat this... You don't defeat this evil cloud, right, of, of, of evil robot here with logic or other stuff. You just – it's actually – it's a communion that that saves the day at the end. And that, that's a nice kind of, you know, hopeful feature way to wrap things up. And and, and more true to Star Trek, I think, because I think a lot of this – That of these is Star are, Trek. Yeah, that okay. is Star Trek. I think a lot of these earlier way of, of dealing with androids and stuff is, is kind of like – it's contradictory, I think, right? Yeah. Because it's like technology is great, but this technology is bad. It's like I, I'm like I, it's it's weird to to uh, uh, that that their solution is always destroy the computer like always it's always destroy the computer in the original series so you get to the the movie and it's like let, let's find a balance between the two a symbiosis between the two and that is you know in theory where society is heading and technology is heading so it is I, I also think too um, you know the the Cold War had a lot of mindset things so it wasn't just defeat the computer but you know freedom. Uh, personal responsibility, you know, living in a democracy, all those things are in those elements in TOS, uh, a lot of it, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely an ideological spin when you think that at that point, um, literally half the world was under the control of dictators, right? And these people were just being told what to do. And they were highlighting why it's important um, to, um, to be independent, free thinking, all those things that the computer was taking over was literally what was happening in many aspects around the globe at that time. Well, and then also, I I, I don't think, you know, as, as far-reaching Star Trek's predictions were, I, I don't even think Star Trek could predict how it, everyday technology is in our lives. You know, we all have a computer in our pocket, and we're, you know, we're sitting here talking around the world on the Internet device and all this stuff, like... Technology is 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 just part of your life, period. Right now, and we're separate from it physically, but you know, I, you know, as as the centuries go by, you know, it's going to be a slippery slope to turn into the Borg or something like that. So, uh, so it's these, close, man. You know. I, I watch people walking down the street. And I say, I, I don't know how you're not walking in front of cars or falling <laughs> into fountains because, uh, you know, I, I literally just as a practice, you know, I put my phone away when I'm walking anywhere because it's just so tempting. Um, and, and, you know, you've got to stop, get out of the way, whatever. If you're going to use your phone, you're going to text or whatever, and you're going to text and walk or text and drive, you're going to hurt somebody or yourself. Mm. And, and you're right. People just are so into it. And I, my goodness, you know, it's, I know a lot of bad things are happening today. It's kind of underreported, but it's one of those things I do watch all the time. I just, in amazement, especially in airports, I'm going, wow. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're you're um, you're able to do more. I, I'm not a multitasker. I guess I have to sit down and physically <laughs> make sure I'm. You know, walking and being on the phone with headphones is different. But uh, these folks are texting all left and right. You're right. Everybody is intertwined. They're all addicted. We're all looking at a screen all the time. All right. Well, that I think 
shows that even you know even 25 years ago when next gen was on and then the the Berman era of trek and here we are today even discovery has a has a robot android as a as a main character i i think that our as we have become more accustomed technology being part of our lives that star trek has also reflected that you know because the android is no longer the other right you have picard and next gen like defending an android's rights like data and then you know data's whole like family and all this and and and, and star trek has continued that this is an extension it goes to like the holographic doctor on voyager right so the technology has become like more accepted more included and, and not feared anymore like it was in the old days when you know and of, of the original series when, co- when computers were this new thing, right? That this on the, on the cusp, right? And, and then, as you said, can all the Cold War kind of thing, communism, all, all those factors are in that TOS pot of ideas they're pulling from. So I just think you just see the evolution from the beginning of Androids and Star Trek all the way to today. And there you have it. Do you guys have any final thoughts? I think that the, the one thing that you did see is, is the technology evolved and it became more accepted. The use of humans still doing a lot of the mundane functions on a ship um, is incongruent with reality uh, because you know it's just uh, even if you take today's technology uh, you know you had 2,000 people on a battleship today you need maybe two or three hundred um, you're starting to see a kind of shrink in Star Trek that doesn't happen the ships get bigger more people get on it there's still more stations I will say more functionality you know you can be in ops and communications <laughs> and all that other stuff but you know literally I, I, th- I think the um, the actual flying time by a pilot that's flying from LA to to Boston, for example, is is three minutes, something like that, out of a five or six hour journey. So, you know that the, it, obviously you can't have good stories, good plot lines, and good people stories if you if you pull the people out. But I would say that's that's the one element of Star Trek that you know they they kind of talk to it. Um, uh, in that TNG episode, I forget the episode, but when Crusher's caught in that in that bubble, and the ship just keeps. Me. Sorry, remember, remember me. Remember yeah. me, yeah. Thank you. Remember me, yeah. Where it's like, you know, what are you crazy? You know, the ship was it's huge, but it's only does it only needs one person. That's actually not too far from the reality <laughs> by the time we get to those centuries. You know. As long as long pretty... as we have the people to take the grates off the torpedo launchers, Ken, I think we're okay, right? <laughs> yeah, that's important. That's that's important, right? That's right. Hey, I... it's it's great theater and all that, but it's it's you know, is it reality? Probably not. I think there's still that the balance that you know as we advance we still need people you know unfortunately you know we we want to get to a place where there's a lot of things and we don't maybe necessarily need it but we're still gonna need them I mean it's the human adventure it's not the computer adventure we don't want to go there you know (laughs) No, I mean, as much as it would be great, like I said, you know, to be in an android body and be able to go to Mars, go visit Jupiter or whatever, because it's going to take hundreds of years to get there and you're going to be dead and it's going to be like your great, great, great grandkids that actually are the ones that get there. Um, to do it yourself would be awesome, but at the same time, it's it's you're not experiencing it yourself. So. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I'd still rather be me. I, you know, as much as you her was tempted to become and live forever and become an, an android, I, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I must say too, I, I like the way you pronounce Ohora Uhora. Um, I, I'm trying to think, what was that that episode in TOS where where Kirk does the same thing? 
So you're not wrong. It's cons- it's 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 pronounced that way by some folks. That's the Canadian pronunciation. Canadian is what you're saying. The pron- yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're saying going to Mars, I often think of like that. I think that's what I would need. To, you know, some kind of because isn't Idaho and Mars? They're kind of close together, aren't they? I mean, they're far away. Yeah. They're out We're there. We're a little close. Yeah. The landscape. I think I'm closer than you guys. So. The, the landscape's similar. Well, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about talking about like people traveling to other planets and stuff like that. This is like you know complete tangent, and then we're done. But you know, uh, you know the the uh, the stereotypical alien, right? That you see in, in pop culture, like the big gray head with the the mm-hmm. almond eyes and all yeah. that. People have speculated, right? It's like okay, if these really are aliens, these might be robots. These might be androids, right? That other races have sent across the galaxy, right? Because of the time and the space and and all that thing, you know. Uh, perhaps these are just android probes, you know, in humanoid forms to assimilate information and report back. And I thought that's interesting because, uh, as you said, Haley, you know, it's, it's going to take centuries to get from place to place unless we find some matter antimatter conversion equation. Um, and that's you know, that's that's how you should do it. And that's the yeah. that's why we send that's why we send robots to Mars. That's why we send Voyager out there. Right. That's why it's going to come back in 200 years and try to destroy the Earth. You know, so. That this that that is the first step towards uh towards space exploration and and let's see let's see more of it for sure. So the androids of the original series aren't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Grey. However, one thing Everyone's I do. Everyone's left... gonna sing the song. Everyone join me. Life for No, I will not join you. I'm sorry. Okay, however, <laughs> Meta Trex. Speaking of character, I always found it interesting how many ways Q manifests himself, the characters that he takes on. We see him as a Starfleet commander, a Bajoran waiter. We see him as an alien captain. Uh, this this Q's is just a, man a cosplayer. That's <laughs> a man of many faces. Who knew Q was such a theater geek? The Edge. A Star Trek Discovery podcast. I felt like I was in a Vegas casino and the bling, bling, yeah. bling, like it was the jackpot. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? How is she affecting the replicators and that's throwing food out? I've never seen a replicator throw food out. Melodic Treks. Well, it was definitely about a lower budget. There was no question that we could not afford Jerry Goldsmith. And... Later, by the time we got to do Star Trek VI, we couldn't afford Jamie Horner. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. 
If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.